0: All right, so for these last few weeks, we have been working through this series on re-seeing Jesus, on seeing, again, seeing Jesus again with fresh eyes, and we've been listening to Jesus through his famous I am statements that run throughout John's Gospel. I am the light of the world. I, I am the vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All of these things, listening for Jesus, trying to see him again, but through his words, how he describes himself this week. <clears throat> listening again as Jesus says, "I, I am the good shepherd." And I have to tell you, I've been working through this uh, this passage, and you know, it's on the screen there. It says ten, eleven, or sorry, ten, one to twenty-one. But actually, the story begins back in chapter nine. But listening and tracking the whole story all the way through, trying to understand what Jesus is saying. When he tells the parable about a shepherd and a thief and a gatekeeper and then says, I, I am the gate, and then says, I, I am the shepherd, the good shepherd. And I tell you, it's been challenging for me. It's been stretching me and it's been good. I don't know, how many of you have studied this passage, Jesus, the good shepherd? How many of you have tried to kind of tra- trace it through from chapter 9 all the way to chapter 10, verse 21? Because they're all connected. It's actually one large story. And I, would, I don't know if you've read through it, but Jesus tells this parable, which when you read it, it's a little bit confusing altogether, because at some places, you know, Jesus is talking anonymously about uh, a thief, and a shepherd, and a gatekeeper, and sheep, and then at some point he says, I am the gate, and then at the other points he says, I am the good shepherd, and trying to keep all those together and to understand who Jesus is through all of this. Well, we're going to be focusing, um, as broad as it is, we're going to be focusing on uh, 10 uh, chapter 10, verse 11 to 21, but we're going to actually read John 10, 1 to 21. It's on your white sheet here. If you have your Bibles, if you want to open to chapter 10. Before we get to this part, though, I need to just recap what's happened, how we got to, how we got to this place. So you see in chapter 9, Jesus is walking and he sees a man who's born blind, who was born that way. And his disciples ask him, you oh, know, Lord, is he born blind? Like, was it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, it's, it's none of that. It's so that God can be glorified in him. It totally undoes their categories, of their understanding of why a person was disabled in the first century. And so Jesus heals him and says him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he does that, and his neighbors begin to, to recognize him and say, hey, you were the guy who was blind, who was begging. This is strange. So... Let's go, talk to the, let's go talk to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, to see what they say about this. And so they bring him, and then it comes out that Jesus actually healed them on the Sabbath. And the, the Pharisees, they get pretty upset about that. Because in their sort of idea, their tradition, uh, the Sabbath was you, you don't actually heal people, you wait till the next day. And so Jesus has upset them. And so they start questioning this this guy who's who was born blind and you know, and ultimately he just says you know said you know who do you say he is and what did he do and he says i you know i don't know <laughs> all i know is that i was blind and now i see and so they keep pressuring him and they get his his parents to come and say you know is this your son and how did he get this way and you can see the parents they're terrified it says in the text actually that they were afraid because the pharisees were throwing people out of the synagogue if they were um, believing in jesus or following him So they basically just kind of wash their hands of it. They say, you know, he's of age. Ask him. Don't ask us. We don't know. And so they ask the guy some more. And he says, why do you keep asking me this? Do you want to be a disciple? Oh, and they get furious at that. No, we're disciples of Moses. Whoa, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) You know, saying that, you know, who are you to say, who are you to teach us? You can just see that how indignant they become at this, that he would suggest that they become disciples of Jesus. And so he's asking them, he says, you know, since the beginning of time, no one has ever done anything like this. No one has healed a man born blind. And, and you say you don't know where he comes from. It's a small detail in the text, but if you remember, well, you probably won't. But in John's Gospel, there's a big debate even before this where they say, you know, we know Jesus is from Galilee, but the Messiah, we won't know where he's from. And here, this blind man is saying, in this particular context, we, you don't know where he's at, and he's able to do these amazing things. Doesn't that sound like the Messiah to you? Well, at this, they say, who are you? I won't yell this time. Who are you to teach us? And so they throw him out of the synagogue. They banish him from the synagogue. And in that culture, it was sort of like saying, we cut you off from God. We cut you off, and they threw him out. Well, later, Jesus met up with him. He started asking, me, are you interested in this Messiah? And he said, yes, please. He says, I, I am he. I'm the one you're looking for. And the man, it says in the text, the man bowed down and worshipped him. Now in the first century, the only person, if you were Jewish, the only person you worship is God. And yet he worships Jesus as God. when Jesus begins talking with him, he says, you know, I have come uh, to give those who are blind to help them see. And to those who think they see it all, I make them blind that they don't see at all. And the, the religious leaders, they get mad because there's a few Pharisees who are listening to them. They say, are you saying that we don't see? Are you trying to say that we're not seeing correctly here? And that's when Jesus tells this parable. So if you would read with me here at, at John chapter 10. So Jesus speaking to these guys, he says, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is a shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listens to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them all out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used to figure, use this figure of speech or this parable, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came, came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I, I have come that they may have life Many of them said he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why are you listening to him? But others said these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now there's a ton of stuff in this passage, and some of it is, for me at least, is a little bit ambiguous. You know, which part is Jesus? What part is the the Pharisees? How are they supposed to relate to this? Who are the sheep? Who are the... Anyways, it's this. I drew this in my head of my notes. I just have this like kind of rat's nest of all these different things going around. But there is a part that is clear. I'm grateful for this. There is a part right at the end that is clear. And it's John uh, 10, verse 11 to 21, where Jesus says, I, I am the good shepherd. Now the thing is, shepherd is a broad term. It's a broad term throughout the, throughout the Old Testament. I mean, there's many of you have heard, maybe some of you your favorite psalm is, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This understanding that the Lord is our shepherd, our good shepherd. But there's also been this connection with shepherd, too, with king. I can't help but wonder, you know, as as David was a shepherd before he became king, that king almost in some ways became synonymous with the people of Israel. People of God became flocks, our sheep. And the kings were referred to as shepherd, the leaders. And it's interesting. I was um, uh, studying this, and a lot of the, the scholars and, and pastors you know, over the centuries, they've seen a lot of connection with this word that John says or these things that Jesus says with, with Ezekiel 34. Can you guys read that? Sorry, that's kind of small. But this is from Ezekiel 34. It says, this is what the Lord, the Sovereign Lord says, Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. And it goes on to say, and then there's this part where God says, Therefore, you shepherds, hear what the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove uh, them from tending the flock, Sorry, I'm reading the wrong part. I'll just read it from here. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock, and when he is with them, so will will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them. And from all the places, there's like a vent right over that one word. As they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness, I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. The point of this is that even in the Old Testament, God, speaking through his prophets, he would say that that the leaders were not actually taking care of the sheep. They weren't leading them well. So God says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be their shepherd. I'm going to lead the people. And later on, in Ezekiel, he makes this connection with a shepherd and a king from the house of David, the Messiah saying that through my Messiah, through this, through this representative from the house of David, I will shepherd my flock. And so when Jesus says, I, I am the good shepherd, I hear all of these things kind of swirling together. The Lord who is the good shepherd, but also the Messiah, whom the Lord has appointed to lead his people. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I hear these things coming together, and that's sort of how we understand what he says when I, I am the shepherd. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says also, too, that I am the Good Shepherd because I lay down my life for the sheep. It actually says this four times in these next ten in these this short little ten verse passage. Four times, Jesus says, and I lay down my life. And then he makes this comparison between the hired hand and the good shepherd. You know, the hired hand takes care of the sheep until things go wrong and then he's gone. He runs away and the wolf can come and scatter. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. When it gets tough, I stick with them. I don't run. And I was thinking about this this week of how many of us have had hired hand experiences or bad shepherd experiences in our lives. In this story, that we talked about before about the blind man, his parents were sort of like that hired hand. When danger came for their son, they just said, well, sorry, we don't, you know, ask him, we don't we don't want any trouble. And they run and they abandon him. How many of you have had situations like that where someone that you were relying on, trusting, someone that you loved, abandons you? One of the one of those things, or one of those times in my life was actually uh, my dad, my father. It's funny, I don't I usually refer to him as father, not my dad. Um, but um, he, uh, he left when I was one. My mom and, and he got divorced when I was one. And by the time I was about 10, he moved to, I was, we lived in Washington State, he moved to California. And I didn't hear from him again until I was in my twenties. And I'm grateful I had a stepdad who was my father who, who raised me, and you know, so that was good. But, but there's always this part of feeling like, you know, I should be able to trust him. I should have, like, he should have been there. When it got hard, he shouldn't have run. And I don't mean it to be too hard on I mean, him. He, he had lots of other things going on. Uh, he was in Vietnam, and my mom said when he came back, he was totally different. And so I, I can appreciate that. But still, I was relying on him as a father. Maybe some of you have had similar situations maybe in a marriage, or maybe your own parents. We have these situations where we needed a good shepherd and we got a hired hand. And I say that, you know, to, to acknowledge the fact that people are human. Even people we love and we mean to trust they're human and they are human, but they let us down. How amazing it is that we have a good shepherd who will never run. Who actually, when things get hard, He will be there. He will lay down his life for us. It's amazing, this good shepherd that we have. But Jesus goes on to talk some more, and he actually says again, he says, he repeats it, he says, "I, I am the good shepherd. He says, my sheep know me. He says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. My father knows me, and I know my father. And I see Jesus making this connection. Not only does Do his sheep know him, but he knows his Father. And he reconciles them together. But Jesus goes on to say, he says, but I have sheep of another pen. I have sheep beyond just the people of Israel. I have sheep around the world. I have sheep in Balfour, British Columbia. I have sheep all over and I need to bring them in. In the Greek text, I think it's in English too, but he says basically, I need to do this. I need to gather my sheep. And then he says one flock, one shepherd, together. Bringing this whole people of God together. And reconciling us to our Father in Heaven. And he does all of this by giving up his life. That's the connection. He brings us to him, he brings us to our Father in Heaven, he brings us together all by giving up his life on the cross. It's through the cross that Jesus paid the price. You know, I know we live in a time where, it's, where we really want to say, you know, I'm not that bad. I mean, the people around us, we hear, you know, I'm a good person. I do nice things for people, usually. I mean, sure, I'm not always perfect, but and we want to think, you know, we're not that bad. But honestly, compared to God and His holiness, we are broken. Even... Even in our best moments, they don't last forever. We still find ourselves getting angry and jealous and resentful and greedy. We still wrestle with these things. And Jesus took care of all of that on the cross. The sin that separated us from our Father in heaven, because he is holy, Jesus took care of on the cross. He stood in our place. He gave up his life for his sheep. And in doing so, he reconciled us to our Father in heaven, made things right. They talk about, many of you have heard the word atonement. It's a theology word, but it's, if you break it down, it's at-one-ment, making one again, making us one with our Father in heaven again through Jesus' sacrifice, through his faithfulness, through his death. But I also see this point, too, that at the cross, Jesus threw the doors open. On the cross, this is where he begins to draw in the nations. I'm thinking of the words of Isaiah where he says, This is too great a thing to not, just, to, to, to not be spread to all the nations. So, Jesus, the Messiah, is not only Messiah for Israel, but for all the world. Bring us, 2,000 years later, us, in Balfour, British Columbia, into the people of God. All of this he's done through the cross, through giving up his life, through laying down his life for us, his sheep. And he says, my father loves me because of this. My father loves me because of this, because I lay down my life only to take it up again. Jesus here is speaking not only of his death, but of his resurrection. And he makes the point so that we would always see it properly. He makes the point of showing us that it's not that someone took his life, It's not that Jesus just got caught up in some political thing and he overwhelmed him and and he started something bigger than he could handle. No. It's by his authority that he lays down his life. It's by his authority that he takes it up again. No one took his life. Not Pilate, not the Jewish leaders. He gave up his life for his sheep. Jesus has the authority to do it. And he did it because his Father commanded him. He did it because he was being faithful to his Father in heaven. So Jesus is this good shepherd. This good shepherd who we see these echoes coming down from the Old Testament. Jesus is this good shepherd who lays down his life. Who lays down his life and who brings us together one flock, one shepherd. And God is deeply pleased in all of this. So this is... Real briefly, really condensed, what's happening in this passage. And at this point, you know, it's good for us to ask, how does this work out in our lives, right? How do we take this from our head and work it out in our lives? And usually at this point, I have some suggestions of, you know, ways that we can work this out in life. But I'm actually interested today in hearing how you might work this out in your life or ideas you have of how we can work this out in our faith. How would you work this out? That Jesus is the Good Shepherd. What does it mean for you when you hear that Jesus is the Good Shepherd? How do you work this out in your life? Yeah, Leslie.
1: Mm-hmm. And so to me, that feels like he is a good shepherd. He is the strength that could help me take my sins to my neighbor who's not feeling well. or mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And that that is that is genuine for me. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that, that is taking care of all of us mm-hmm. through, you know, giving us, who's
0: been mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, good. Thank you. Else, how you guys work this out in your life? Yeah, Doug? I think when Jesus as
1: is a, is a shepherd is takes care of his flock, and we as part of the flock sometimes we wander away and we get ourselves into situations where we shouldn't, because he didn't do. Mm-hmm. And he's always there for us. He's there on the sunny days and he's there on
0: the rainy days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah, thanks, Doug yeah yeah Judy Yeah, and I think that's a great point, Judy. You know, like, sheep. I mean, uh, in a few places, I mean, many of you have heard this too, maybe like, and I don't maybe it's a little bit overstated, but, you know, sheep are dumb. <laughs> sheep are really dumb. <laughs> and they need lots of tending. And you're right, like, that's that's really counter to who we are as a society. Nobody wants to say, like, I need help. I need someone to look after me. Yeah. Yeah, Greg. Thank you, Judy. uh Judy.
2: Yeah, I said it. Until I I turned my world, my life, my whole, body, mind, and soul to the Lord to guide me to be a shepherd of His. I was a lone wolf, a lone shepherd out there for 30 years, dodging wolves and trials, and tribulations, doing my way. But I know the Lord. He knows what's best for me. He knows where the best grass is for me, the best watering hole, the mm. best watering hole that's fresh, you know, and, and constant. And also being in the block together, we're strong. Yeah. And also, all people out there, he wants to save us all. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and, and he knows what's best, you know, where he wants us to help other people wherever we're at. Right. Know, and uh, mm-hmm. together we we'll will stand together with him. And so many people out here, they want to do it themselves.
0: Right. You
2: know, and he's crying big time through okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. Kerry, okay, you were raising your hand too.
1: Jesus to us to be our way, truth, and life.
0: Yeah. To show yeah. us. Yeah.
1: And so what what uh, the good shepherd means to me is that Jesus is our standard. We should try to do any Right. We fail, but we should try. He's, he's what we're aspiring to. His way, truth, and life is what we should
0: aspire to. Right. You know, as you were just talking, I just had this image or this slide. Hey, can you turn me down a little bit? I'm sorry to... But, um, um... In the, the passage, it talks about, you know, the shepherd goes out, and the sheep hears voice, and they follow him. And, and I was thinking, kind of along the lines of what you're saying, is how we don't have to have it all figured out. We just have to follow the shepherd. Like, just take the next step with it. Like you're saying, like, he's the way to live, and we keep following him. As you were saying that, just sort of the, the vision I have of, like, we, we don't have to that sheep. We don't have to go and figure out where to go and where to find pasture. We just have to follow him. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Jordan, what were you going to say? Mm. yeah yeah right 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 you start acting a lot less like sheep and a lot more like wolf yeah oh uh, yeah right yeah. yeah that's a good point I hadn't thought of that yeah Anybody else? Yeah, Rudy. You know Jason, the only time I've ever needed a shepherd is on trouble. Yeah. Right. When a shepherd I don't need when everything's going fine. Or you don't think you need him. <laughs>
3: mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, he lays down his life. He doesn't run. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Uh? Yeah, Jordan. true? yeah yeah right true true something Johnny yeah Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And, the, you know, Jesus makes this point of, of them, like the sheep hear his voice and they follow him. And listening to other scholars as they were working through this passage about this this man who's at the, the synagogue and he's being challenged and, and they're trying to get him to say what he needs to say to not be in trouble and but he just keeps saying the right thing. And then, then he comes and he hears Jesus' voice. And he says, yeah, I'll follow you. Even though he's been kicked out of the synagogue and all that, he he just follows Jesus, a well, shepherd. He hears his voice and follows him. Yeah. If there's just there's just one thing that um, as I was praying for us, um, I'm so grateful. <laughs> I love doing this. I love hearing from you and like you saying, no. Here's how we hear God calling us to follow or to work this out this week. I, I'm grateful, and I think it speaks to the the reality that that you are like the priesthood of all believers, that that God has gifted each of us. And I'm grateful for those of you who shared today, and many of you probably have things that are going on in your head that you'll probably talk about this week, I hope. But if there's one thing that I could just say, just to one thing to do this week, um, is to give thanks. Uh, Especially if you're in a difficult situation, is to give thanks to Jesus. Give thanks that he is the good shepherd, that he doesn't run when things are difficult, that he stays with us, that he even gave up his life. Not that he uh, will give it up, but that he has given it up for us. And the other thing is this, is that because he's given up his life, then we have new life in him. We have forgiveness. We can be right with God. And I know we totally take that for granted in, in the church and in our world today, but, but Jesus has done this. And so I, just a, one thing for us to do this week is to give thanks. Let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll uh, praise God some more.